the beauty in what we're at from an economic perspective is that so much of the gratification of waiting to get that ultimate like climax of, of better was worth it. There, there was value in waiting. And so much of what we want from a technology perspective is we want this instant gratification, this instant change. And a lot of people are, are reticent to point to what's happening in the economy as what it is because they want to see the instant change. We are in a recession. or They don't understand the prolongated process. You can't skip. Don't be afraid of what comes next because this is truly what builds wealth over time. If you're aware of it, if you're smart enough to do the right things you need to do, and you make logical, clear decisions based on facts, not on fictions, and not on bias. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. What do I got to do? There's nothing. You're never going to. Come on. Just gonna, one ever, time. You're never going to control the soundboard. You know, I've been getting some DMs, people asking me to gain control of the soundboard. So you do have social media. <laughs> so just lying. All right. We got a lot this week, kids. And we're going to jump right into it. So I'm the, the good host, Chris. That's the other host, Saeed. Say hi. Hi, everybody. No beatboxing this time. We had an off-the-air conversation about how that was completely inappropriate. <laughs> completely prohibited. Completely, completely prohibited. You were never allowed to do that again. All right. So I've got so much data. I don't even know where to start with this week. But we're going to go with, outside of the early pandemic downturn in 2020, that plunge is the biggest since 2008. Talking about California home sales. See the... Huge year-over-year drop, this report shows. Mm -hmm. 345,000 homes say, home sales for the month of June represented a drop of 8.4% from May. And the median sale price was also down 4% from the previous month. Mm -hmm. So this led to a 21% drop year-over-year -year for Los Angeles residential sales. That's a big decline in the market. Yeah, huge decline in the market. I mean, we know rates have gone down or have gone up, right, from the low 3% to mid fives. Effectively doubled. I like, I yeah. up, so I got on this property, the one we're living in right now, 2.71% is my, and the people I know they got way better rates than that. Right. During kind of like the ultimate like low point of, of where rates were at, but effectively doubled. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So what that means, you know, for, for the buyers that are out there, that you likely won't qualify for what you were trying to get just a couple months ago. Not only that, but people have a tendency to not want to back off of what they had their sights on. So a lot of yeah. people from a, 
just a, a psychological perspective, they could easily buy a home that's called it like four hundred thousand versus the five hundred thousand at higher rates and right. have effectively the same payment, mm-hmm. but they don't want to give up all those things that they were falling in love with at the five hundred because that, that's a huge range, right? But that's a you know right it's a big we, number. And you know um, from being an agent and showing people homes, people know what they can afford and they tend to want to seek out just a little bit more and maybe stretch themselves out a, a little bit more thin. Yeah, the other problem is too is people know what they could afford back then. Yes. They haven't really spent a whole lot of time, I guess, internalizing what they can afford now. Yeah. That's a tough conversation. And the real estate agents aren't really helping themselves a whole lot because, as we all know, I don't like Dave Ramsey and keeping current matters on all these sites. But the real estate agent philosophy, and a lot of real estate agents listen to the show, so it's not a knock on them. But the National Association of Realtors and a lot of people who support them, their, their philosophy when it comes to affordability is that home values are not the problem, rates are. Okay, and historically that's been fine because rates have never really dipped as low and as long as they have. Mm-hmm. So now, after that, such a long period of like low, low rates, right? We know that wasn't the solution. Yeah, because what did that do? That just created this market that was white hot on fire, and people mm-hmm. were buying things they arguably could not afford because they had an opportunity to get qualified for these loans. Right, and with you know the decrease in demand out there, because as you said, you know, demand without affordability is not demand. I had a I had a listener. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but I love you, dude. If you listen to the show, hit me up in the DMs, just in quotes. Demand without affordability is not demand. Yeah, that's got to be. That was our first the, intro conversation. Yeah. I was like, I love this guy. I don't even know who you are. Yeah, but I love you. Yeah, that should be the mantra for the show. Oh. <laughs> you know, it should, it should be the mantra for the show. You know, it's been happening a lot too that I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to until recently. Is a lot of people have self-identified that they're one of our five listeners. <laughs> I love that. So, we just keep referencing so, the five listeners. Maybe so we're at I like, six. So I respond to every one of them. Only got three more to find, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's cool to see that people are kind of a, a, listening, adopting, and yeah, gras- listening and grasping grasping uh, what we're saying. But yeah, I mean, I never really thought that 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 many people listen to the show. Honestly, I mean, I you and I have looked at the numbers. They're really hard to tell for podcasts, like how many authentic real listeners you get because. People listen on the internet. They listen on different streaming platforms. Yeah. They listen you know, on their mobile devices. So not all that data comes in kind of clearly, I guess. Yeah. But back to what we were saying about these buyers and there being, you know, demand without affordability is not true demand. So there's less buyers out there in the market. Don't fuck my quote up, bro. What? Demand without affordability is not demand. Don't say yeah. true demand. Okay. Don't water that shit down. Uh, okay. It's not, it's not demand. It feels like for, for the time being, for the people that are still crazy enough to go out there and buy and not just want to hold off and wait and be patient. It's not crazy. It's not I mean, crazy. it's not crazy, but I'm saying for those that are, are still in the market to do that because maybe they're forced to do so for whatever reason, it gives them maybe some, some of the control back. Maybe they don't have to release all their contingencies up front like we've been oh, saying. Yeah, that, that whole thing is dead. Yeah. So this actually has got two kind of good points that we should talk about because I've been getting asked a lot of questions about when's the right time to buy. And there's a lot of subjectivity. So we talked about California in the, in the beginning of the show. And mm-hmm. California is one of the markets that's clearly the values are already coming down. That's already being reported. I actually have data to that. We'll talk about a little later. During a time of year when it's usually hot. Yeah, this is summertime. This right. is usually when a lot of the movement exactly. happens and a lot of people moving and stuff like that. So there's, there, this is usually when the market is not going down. We've seen three months of, of sales decreasing. But in California, the average home price has actually gone down. So values in California are coming down. There's not even debatable at this point. The data mm-hmm. is there. Nationally, it's actually gone up. It went up the last three months. It used to be in the, in the 200s. Now it's... Last month, it was a $400,000 average sale price across the country. This month, it was 416000 across the country. This, while 
sales are slowing dramatically. Yeah. So year over year sales are down, not to mention time in the market is up. Oh, so all the right. mar- all the trends that you would normally see from an analytics perspective that would show you that value should come down have actually been going the right way, yet value seem, according to the National Association of Realtors, mm-hmm. to not go down. Now, the asterisk here is that data is from June. Yes. So here's what I've been telling people. You need to wait three months at a time. Okay. I don't think buying a home is ever a stupid decision or a bad time. I, I think people really confuse the investment part of it with the utility part of it. Yeah. If you need a home and you and your family are going to build memories there, it is never the wrong time to buy. Right. If you need it, you need it. That's just life. And frankly, we have to live life. Prime, and- ex- prime example was, I mean, when uh, my wife and I were looking for a home. Uh, in Why is 20- it always about you? No, I'm just saying I can relate it back to myself. In 2020, I remember we were thinking back then that, you know, this part, this house is overvalued. Like, I, um, it's completely maybe out of the market and it's way too expensive. But we were desperate to get back into an area where the school districts were really nice. So, oh, yeah, yeah I remember we, that. Yeah. We had to hurry up almost. I almost we felt pressured to hurry up and get back in before the school year started. So that was our reason for needing to buy a home. That's most people's reason. I mean, school districts are a huge, huge element that people don't really talk about until they've had kids and they're in the home ownership situation. A lot of younger people don't really think about it, but what this area that, we, that I'm right. in now is, is, is a huge positive school district. I mean, it's like one of the yeah. best in, in the state. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the things that, that a lot of people don't really think about when they're buying a home, especially when they buy their first home and when they have kids later on, it now becomes a relevant factor and they usually have to move due to that utility. So that, exactly. that's much more common than people realize, but I'll, I'll say this. If if the market is changing as much as it is and you have any hesitation, you shouldn't rule out buying in the next three to six months. What you should do is engage in the market, watch the trends in your area, know what your financial position is, mm-hmm. and then every three months reassess. Yeah. Every quarter reassess. And why I say every quarter is things dramatically change the month after the quarter ends. So if you want to get yourself on a, on a cycle to check the market – I would say the month after quarter in is when you want to kind of look at the market and make a decision. Mm-hmm. So, for example, right, first quarter, January, February, March, second, so then data comes out in April. Yes. So then April, May, June, next data comes out July. Right. Which is why I've always called the pivotal month for this recessionary economy conversation to happen in July because the report's coming out. Exactly. In July, August, September. Mm-hmm. October. October is when yeah. you want to look at it, right? Exactly. So, if you're thinking about it now and you want to look at the market about in October and you want to make a decision. Maybe values have come down enough. Maybe things have slowed. And to your point, you don't need the wave contingencies anymore. There was, an, there was a wonderful, there, I'm sure there was some kind of bias to it. I really don't understand why they did it. There was a CNBC special I watched the other day, uh, I think it was yesterday, about how a guy is selling his house. And it was so striking. This is the same guy who had sold another house recently uh, nearby. And I guess he had an investment property. Now he was selling his primary residence. And he was, selling, he was talking about how stark of a difference it was for him as a seller. Uh-huh. And he literally ended the, the kind of presentation with, Hey man, if, if you're making an offer that's five percent below list, don't don't feel like you're going to offend me. Make that offer. Oh wow! Whereas, literally a couple months ago, you couldn't yeah. make an offer that didn't waive all contingencies. Exactly. That wasn't over list and yep. didn't have a super short close. Yeah, you're not even going to be competitive. Yeah, that yeah. is absolutely gone at this point. Yeah, which makes me feel a lot better because I, I uh, we had some friends that had gone through this process and they must have made offers on I don't know, give or take ten homes. And yeah, for the all, average, the average uh, during the height, the average was eight offers before they got a home. One. Yeah, and they were off on ten homes. Each of those, you know, so so much of your your you know your heart and your desire goes into each home when you make an offer, and um, they would lose out, and they would be waiving all these contingencies. So 
So because I want to cross into the other side of the market. So it, it's well known that my brother works at Loan Depot and they're they're a massive volume shop. And like yep. most non-bank lenders, 80% of their business at any given point in time is refinances. Yeah. We know that that market has to have consolidated significantly, right? So the Mortgage Bankers Association put out Had some to have data, dried up. Yeah. Right. And and obviously sales happening less frequently. And I'll mm-hmm. get into both those data points in a second here. You can see how how effectively the how large the pullback has been in the market. So Mortgage demand drops to a 22-year low as higher interest rates and inflation crush home buyers. Right, nothing that's in the shocking there, other than the fact that mortgage demand has uh, fallen last week, hitting the lowest point since 2000. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a long time. So, ago. That's a long time ago, right? exactly. So, and so, at the same time, here's the home sales. Right, this is from the National Association of Realtors. I talked about this data a little bit before. So take it with a grain of salt. Year over year, 5.12 million sales. That's down 5.4 percent month to month and 14.2% year over year. Mm-hmm. At the same time, inventory in the market typically, and well, had historically been in this economy about 2.5 months mm-hmm. is now up to three months. So inventory is creeping up. Yeah. And inventory is the metric that you, that you use to figure out where it's the supply and demand argument, all those right. issues. Okay. This is already creeping in the right way to make it a normalized. I think when you get to about six months, about double this, then yeah. you start to see a little bit more homeostasis, a little bit more normal stuff happening. I see. Okay. The argument, though, is that, and I've seen this a lot, and I don't necessarily know that it's right or wrong at this point. It's definitely one of those things that I've seen kind of in the zeitgeist out there in the world. Everyone's saying that the 10-year, the, the Treasury, which we talked about in the past, which influences yeah. rates, isn't going to move a whole lot, even though the Fed's going to increase interest rates, or their borrowing rate, 75 basis points. At least we think. Okay. Some people think. 100 basis points. If they do that, they don't believe that the Fed's going to move that much. So they don't think the mortgage rates are going to get to the 6% like I thought they were. They think they're going to fall below that, like in the mid fives. Okay. So I, I, I obviously, you and we talked about this, we believe the rates are going to be a little higher than that. And as a result of that, we think that what happens here is that this continues to push inventory up, sales down, mm-hmm. and mortgage demand further out. Further out. Yeah, exactly. So supply goes up, demand goes down, and what does that do to the real estate market? Well, here's exactly what it's done recently. This is California again as an example, as a proxy of what I think will happen in the macro environment. The region's six-county median sale price was seven hundred fifty thousand, down from seven hundred sixty thousand in May. However, a broader view shows that prices are still soaring compared to last June, when the median price was six hundred seventy-nine thousand. Yeah, and that just goes to show you how much escalation there has been in the last year. Yeah. Even though it's come down, it hasn't come down a lot, which is part of when we talk about I mean, remember when I said that if values come down you know, 10 to 20%, right. it's still not even doing away with the full year's exactly. growth. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what that means. Still, the drop comes as a slight surprise, although medium prices tend to peak in the summer, like we talked about. The average increase from May to June was 1.78% over the last decade. Mm-hmm. So the last time prices fell from May to June was in 2010. Wow. We're talking about trends in, in this business that we haven't seen for 10 or 20 years. Yeah. That's a huge drop off. And we really haven't seen the impacts, as you know, of quantitative tightening. Yeah, exactly. Because that officially started in July. Yeah. So there, there's a lot there that I think from the real estate market's perspective, and that, that's why I said this is going to be a data heavy kind of episode, because there's so much that's coming out now mm-hmm. that we knew was going to come out in July that's starting to creep out. And one of the questions I get a lot mm-hmm. is, 
hey man, uh, real estate values in my area aren't going down. So this is clearly going to be regional. And even some smart economists like Mark Zandi over Moody's have said, there's only certain markets that are going to be really impacted. I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling total bullshit on okay. that. Yeah. Complete bullshit. And let me tell you why. Because as a guy who owns real estate in the Midwest, yeah. I know that as values go up on the coast, yes. they don't get to the Midwest until later. It takes time to get there. It's almost like if you think about it as, as a map of the United States and you have California on the left and New York on the right, and everything around the, on the right is generally hotter real estate. And everything on the left is generally hotter real estate. And then there's some parts in the, you know, in the south, perhaps, or you know, some cities here and there. But for the most part, that heat map gets hotter and hotter as it gets to the Midwest. And then you know right. that values are going up because the entire economy is prosperous. Exactly. When values start to go down, I believe it also starts on the coast and get their way into the Midwest. Oh, interesting. Okay. It, so doesn't, start, it doesn't start going down from the middle and back out. Yeah. I don't really have like an economic trend for this. And I'm sure if I looked it up, there's, there's going to be somebody who's done some kind of analysis mm -hmm. there. But I can tell you, generally speaking, the properties in the Midwest are the slowest to react. And my stuff is dead center in the middle of America. So it yeah. kind of makes sense. And when you also think about someone like Dave Ramsey, as much as I like him or don't like him, he appeals to people in the Midwest. He has like that wholesome, yeah. almost religious undertone vibe to him. Yeah, yeah. That's why he's able to kind of push that 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 very cult-like it, it is very cult-like yeah we can have the conversation about how all religion is a cult and i hope nobody's offended by <laughs> no, it but we won't go there yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's alienate all five of our listeners <laughs> no but um redfin also released a report mm -hmm. saying that 29.6 percent of all homes on the market in los angeles which was, goes back to potentially being regional right but los angeles big metropolitan area yep. had price cuts in june that's per redfin when you compare that to June of 2021, that's doubled. Yeah, and I think I think the reason why Los Angeles is such a critical point of this conversation for me, at least, is that I think there's this perception by people that Los Angeles has a lot of wealth. Yeah, there's a lot of people out in, in the business who are in entertainment and these non real estate based businesses. And even though there's a lot of people in real estate in Los Angeles, and they think that Los Angeles was it was one of those markets where people felt that wasn't going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. And yet to see it impacted this soon, this quickly, yeah. when there's clearly a supply shortage in Los Angeles. You and right. I know we, we do a yeah. lot of multifamily yeah. exactly. in Los Angeles, right? There, there's a tremendous amount of supply issues. And if you took all this office space and you converted it to multifamily, did it overnight, there would still be years of supply issues. So for a market that is as underserved from a real estate perspective as Los Angeles is to have a value drop off this quickly, that is very telling to me. Yeah. Very, very telling. Yeah, San Francisco's also got a huge drop off too. Yeah, well, and also their their rents were the craziest, right? Yeah, and they're they're still they still have crazy high rent, so yeah. the affordability issue hasn't gone away there. But what they have had is kind of this exodus as as it relates to the tech sector as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the tech employees have started to kind of branch out because of the work from home thing. If you're a tech company and you don't embrace work from home, which some of them are not doing, right? Uh, it's kind of shocking for people because yeah, you of all people should have the technology. We know we know friends that have moved from the Bay Area down to Orange County mm -hmm. because they quite frankly couldn't buy a home that fit their needs up in San Francisco. Yeah, um, I mean, I, and I looked at property up there at one point. I remember that not even San Francisco. Went. We're talking like you know Fremont area. I mean, I don't know if you spend any time looking at, at homes in San Francisco. Actually, somebody asked me this question, and I think this is kind of relevant to talk on the podcast. They said, "Well, how do people afford all these high end homes?" Mm -hmm. Truthfully, yeah. And I thought that was a very astute question to ask someone like us yeah. because we're in the business of looking at people's financials. So we kind of know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll answer this question as, so I read an article and I don't have, have the data for this particular, like I normally record data and save it, you know, save it for stuff to talk about on the show. This is one of those articles that I read about and I thought, you know what, I, I don't know that I want to talk about this on the show per se, so I don't quote me here, but 
it talked about how 40% of first-time home buyers are already priced out of the market. Makes sense. And by 2025, unless there is a correction that's significant, i.e. a real estate-related recession, mm-hmm. it's 60% of first-time home buyers will be priced out of the market. Wow. And so the supposition here was a little off. On, on the, it, it was written by clearly an attorney who cared about the nonprofit side of affordability, and I respect all that, so there's no judgment there. But it wasn't written from an economist's perspective where there's a lot of data to support the decisions. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of the key take home from a survey. And it was a beautiful chart that kind of illustrated it all. I wish I could show everybody. But so here, here's the answer to that question is if you bought a home early enough. And this is where even, even people like Dave Ramsey get it right. If you bought a home early enough and you have equity in a home and went up in the last couple of years. You could sell your home, use that equity and carry it forward into a slightly bigger property. Right. Gain some equity. Right. Right. That's the way most Americans buy a home. Yeah. There are those few who, who save money, get wealthy, and buy, buy it and put it down. But even myself, as successful as I don't feel, I was telling somebody else on social media the other day that I bought this house right. for, at the time I lived in an apartment, and I bought this house for, I want to say, it was $350 plus $25,000 seller's credit, but I only put 3.5% down. Yeah. And I used my commission on the deal, which was, I think, 2% towards the deal. Mm-hmm. So other than closing costs, and the 1.5% that I had to bring in. Right. I didn't put any more money down to buy this place. Yeah, and we talked about this too yes. on the pod where the, the remainder of the money, you had the funds to put down, right. call it 20%. But, but I could use that towards something else. Towards another investment property. So this is also why I tell everybody to get, to get the real estate licenses because you'll have the ability to do that, at least in part, whatever you don't pay your broker, to do that. And some brokers will only charge you a $500 transaction fee. So you can right. still do a pretty significant amount. But this is why I encourage everybody to get a license because there are opportunities like that that only real estate salesperson can actually do yeah because you can get a commission but so i can't speak for how everybody buys properties but not most people are not coming into these multi-million dollar markets buying a a property easily it's a challenge no i'm sure it's a challenge and then when if you were to compare it to let's say uh the times when uh, our parents back in the day were were buying homes i don't know about your parents but just speaking from my parents at that time when they were looking to buy homes it was single income home these these Kids nowadays that are coming first-time home buyers are dual-income homes, and they're not being able to. What does that? How, where does that leave them? My wife and I had this play date with a, a couple, wonderful couple, both working attorneys. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, looking at the two of them, who are very smart, intelligent people. They got two, you know, beautiful kids. I'm looking at them, going like, hey, they both care about their career. They're both working. Like this is more than income, and probably more, frankly, responsibility than than my parents had. My mom didn't work. My right. dad did. And, and I'm looking at them going like, this is the epitome of, of America right now. Yeah. Is, is that most people don't have the luxury of having one person stay at home. Yeah, exactly. And I, my honey, if you're listening to this, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it is a luxury. It's a luxury that I would love to give my wife one day. I know she, all she's ever wanted to be is, you know, a mom, you know, and just to give her that flexibility to be around the kids more, see the kids. More. I think it's needed for the kids. They need that motherly love. I just remember my mom. I had a, my mom worked, she was a nurse and she worked when I was in, uh, when I was a kid and my, my, my aunt, her sister took care of me mm-hmm. and I made the mistake one day when I was young and obviously too young to, to know, I called my aunt mom. Oh, that was it for my mom. She was, she didn't care what the lifestyle change had to be. She yeah. was done yeah, yeah. with that. She stopped working to care of me and my mom and I have never gotten a fight. We've never fought about anything. My entire life can be, if you can imagine that. Wow. So when it came time to raise our son, my wife, who was a nurse, a registered nurse, she worked in the critical uh, CICU at, at Hogue. She was uh, 
she's working a tremendous amount of hours and her career meant a whole lot to her. And it was not an easy decision for her to let that go to take care of our son. Right. But the way I positioned it with her was, is number one, he's only going to be little and not in school full time for five years. Yeah. Number one. Number two, being a mom is not a fucking easy job. Not at all. It is not. Well, first easy. of all, it's a full time job. Full, it's, it's more than a full time job. Yeah. It's, it's all day, all night, plus getting up in the middle of the night, all that stuff. I mean, right. And you just never stop the, worrying. The stress and the worrying. Right. Exactly. So, in, in a lot of ways, I think her job is harder now than when she was a CICU nurse, if that's believable. Right. So, it, it's, it's crazy. But it's I know. And you think things. about just think about the social aspect of it all, you know, some of these parents, and especially during the time that we're at, we're in now, or we just came out of with COVID. You know, these stay-at-home moms are with their kids all day. That was the only interaction with the kids. That's that, it. That's the only interaction with the kids. But also for the adults, you're not interacting. They're not interacting with any other adults. You're just, you're interacting with your kid and you need to have some type of conversation. Man, was, if you came home to me every day, you'd be so happy, bro. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be so happy. I swear. I try to tell that to Hawa too, but. <laughs> you're welcome, baby. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My poor wife must have gone insane during the pandemic. I would come home. And like, I'd be so eager to talk to somebody, like have some kind of social, because it wasn't even in the office either, right? Because right? everybody's like, you, you're not talking to me. I could be like, baby, what's up? Yeah. How you doing? Let's talk. And she'd be like, I just put Carter down. Shut up. I'm like, no, stop it. I want to talk to you. <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to hang out? No, so she's no. like, where are we going to go? I'm like, yeah. I know. <laughs> exactly. You're trapped. You stuck with me. Stuck. <laughs> like it was, it was bad. I don't know how my wife didn't divorce me in the middle of it, but but she stuck around. It was tough. I mean, yeah, we we know that it's been. It was tough for a lot of people during that time. So I mean, yeah. Shout out to all the moms out there. It's oh, not easy, bro. No. It's not easy. And you're a stay-at-home dad, too. I love you, bro. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I work from home. Sometimes, work from home sometimes it feels like I'm a stay-at-home dad, but it's okay. I, I feel blessed. I feel lucky for it. So, for those of you who listened to our last episode, you know that Saeed's wife had a very unfortunate accident. He got the good news today. Congratulations. That vehicle oh, is totaled. Total, it's a total loss. Total loss. To new cars. Yeah, I feel, uh, I feel lucky because I didn't feel comfortable having my wife get back in that car. And I know yeah. my wife, she's thinking about the cash flow aspect of it all. God bless uh, her heart. I love you, girl. Yeah. She she clearly listens to the higher standard. Um, As you should. But um, I told her, look, we got the... we Is got listener number four? She's listener number four, yeah. <laughs> we only we got, got one find to find. <laughs> yeah, we only got one to find. Yeah. Um, she, she was just thinking about that, but I told her, listen, the only reason why we got the van is to protect you and the kids, and it served its purpose. Let's move on, get another one. Yeah, move on, get another one. In the car market right now, the values are starting to come down a little bit. We it's talked not about so that. overinflated. We talked so, about that last week. So it's a good time for you to buy. It's, I mean, it, it's a good time. But more importantly, like some of these things like we talked about, like if you pay off your car and you could hold on to it for a long time so you don't have a, a car loan payment, then great. Kudos to you. But sometimes these are some of the expenses that you are going to have to learn to live with. Yeah, life gets in the way. Exactly. That's just how that is. Exactly. So... um we talk about life getting in the way for some really fucked up crypto, crypto situations. Oh, I can't wait. Let's get into I this. I can't wait. So I'm gonna. For those of you who saw social media, I made a lot of memes on this topic. We've been very nice to the crypto been market. Very nice to the we crypto market. We, we've let them go for a little while. The gloves might be off because y'all getting <laughs> fucked. Okay, <laughs> let me just tell you right now. So I'm gonna get into a little bit of the legal nuance because I think the buildup just makes this this, this climax even better. For those of you who don't know, there's some interesting case law coming out of Wyoming as it relates to cryptocurrency, making it kind of one of the first movers in, in a lot of ways for the market. And the bankruptcy courts have established futures markets as, as it relates to two particular cryptocurrencies, which happen to be the largest ones, right? Bitcoin and Ethereum. And because of this, there's a, the futures markets and, and ultimately the bankruptcy law 
they have a way to value your cryptocurrency assets in the form of in a bankruptcy circumstances. And I'm watering this down a slight amount just because it doesn't really matter. But effectively, there's some case law out there. And you would think that Bitcoin and Ethereum would be relatively stable like coins that they're not granted. They're not tied to currency in a true stable coin. But they were they were, you know, put out there as a hedge against inflation, right? Hedge against inflation, baby. (laughs) (laughs) There is no hedge against inflation. No. Yeah. Uh, and I love seeing articles. For those of you who see articles online uh, or anywhere, or you see somebody talking about, oh, this is real estate is a hedge against inflation. There is no hedge against inflation. The only hedge against inflation is to keep investing. Nick keep Norris, Professor Norris, you know, Professor Norris taught me that a long time ago. Keep doing what you're doing. Even though he refuses to come on the show, you son of a bitch. We're going to get him on the show. We'll get him on the show. Yeah. I also wanted Bobby to come on the show. I talked to him today. I was trying to get him on the show. That would be great for the uh, show. Bobby is one of the best, if not the best attorneys I've ever met in my entire life. And he allows me to fondle him every time we see each other. <laughs> give him a big hug. And I'm very, I'm very affectionate. <laughs> and, and he loves the affection. I cannot confirm. And because he'll never come on the show, he'll never be able to say that he doesn't love the affection. So yeah. he loves it. That being said, uh, the crypto market has had some very interesting and volatile times. And when Coinbase had their initial debacle, mm-hmm. it was found that in their user agreement, which I looked up, as you recall, yeah. that they, the users who pledged their assets to Coinbase or put them in Coinbase uh, had, were technically considered unsecured creditors for the purposes of a bankruptcy. Right. So even though the bankruptcy courts in Wyoming had established some strong precedents right. for what happens to cryptocurrency during bankruptcies. The user agreements for these large holders and, and traders uh, of accounts, so like the, the Coinbase, the wallets out there, sure, the user the agreements print, said yeah. you were an unsecured creditor. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with bankruptcy, allow me to retort. <laughs> if you're an unsecured creditor, the secured creditors get paid first and you get paid whatever's left afterward. Oh. Now, what just came up in the Celsius. It's funny that you say that. Yeah, yeah it's funny that you say that. So Celsius, who is uh, another crypto wallet or crypto lender as well, they have filed bankruptcy. Now, a crypto lender is a bit different than Coinbase, whereas Coinbase, they're holding assets for you. Mm-hmm. And Celsius actually took your assets and made you a loan based on them. Right. This is one of those set of circumstances where if you don't hold the keys, you don't get the car, baby. That mm-hmm. ain't your car. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. in court, Celsius attorneys... They're saying they have rights to your crypto. And rather than me just tell you what they said, I'm just going to quote it because it's good. Yeah. Right? Celsius is literally arguing that they can do whatever they want with other people's cryptocurrency. My God. They are basically saying that you weren't even unsecured. So here's a quote. (laughs) As a result, Celsius is free to use, sell, pledge, and rehypothecate those coins. And rehypothecate here from a legal sense means fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> you thought it was yours. Yeah, you thought it was yours. But no, it's not. Right. So Celsius is basically saying that anybody who had a loan with them, not only do you not have that loan mm. anymore, mm. you're shut down, but they're going to take your underlying assets, which typically were maximum LTV of about 50% of a loan to your cryptocurrency. They're going to liquidate it and do whatever the fuck they want to do with it. During their time, they amassed $20 billion in funds last year, and they were able to do that by offering 18% high-yield interest to its customers. 18%? 18%, yeah. yeah, yeah. At its height. What yeah. in the fuck, dude? So there was so much money in lending on crypto because so many people didn't want to pay the taxes. Yeah. 
So what they would do is you don't pay taxes on a loan. So this is beautiful for them. They're not the world of capital gain, short term, long term, whatever it might have been. Mm-hmm. They just borrowed against it and then use that money to, in some cases to buy more crypto. Uh, in other cases to live because a lot of these people were younger and they were paying crazy ass percentages just because they could. Mm-hmm. There was so much money and the maximum LTV on most of the stuff was about 50 percent and there was remargining provisions. Yeah. But when crypto fell off as quickly as it did. I mean, it fell off. They filed for bankruptcy so fast, right? Shortly after, in June, they mm-hmm. froze withdrawals and transfers, yep. citing extreme market conditions. Mm-hmm. They had 1.7 million customers at that time. Yeah, that's a and lot of people a getting lot of fucked. Customer, a lot of a lot of people getting fucked. And and I'll tell you, based on what I've seen, they are really angling for. Sorry, guys, but not, if hey. you're if you're the CEO and you're you're in this space and you're you're the guy who's behind the legal decisions yeah. here. Let me tell you right now, you better disappear. Yeah, exactly. Like, Did you yourself so so And after this, and I mean, so this was the third firm. There's two others, right, that also filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Voyager. Yeah. And 3AC. What, 3AC was a, a, venture a hedge, cap, fund. Was hedge fund. Yeah, hedge sorry. fund, right? Uh, so Three Arrows Capital, right? Yeah. So they were actually the, the, the guys in the room that everyone kind of were looking at to like lead this process because they've been around for like a decade. Yeah, but they were so over leveraged. So a lot of people thought that leverage was unique to real estate and and something. (laughs) Let me tell you, it wasn't. Uh, In a lot of these funds, particularly that one, they were super over leveraged. And this is why volatility in prices is a very scary thing, because what looks like a secure leverage point can Mm -hmm. become very insecure. And this is not we are not safe in the real estate market. If you have a 80 percent loan to value. Yeah. And you bought a home last year. But 20% down. Yeah. And that home went up 24% in value that year alone. Yeah. If it goes, if the market quote corrects, and I'm using bunny ears here, yeah. not, not, not a crash, but corrects just yeah. 20%. Right. You are now 100% loan to value. Yeah. Yeah. You're just 1% away from being underwater. And what are people doing? They're, they're getting IO loans right now, interest only. They're, they're trying to do stuff like that. I had a. So that those must be the only refis that are still coming around, right? People's IO loans that are. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. Actually, today I had because they're forced to. They don't have a choice, right? Like, I had a prolonged conversation today about somebody who was refinancing from a PI from principal interest tax and insurance, like a traditional P and I loan, seventy mm-hmm. percent uh, down to a IO loan mm-hmm. to improve this person's cash flow. Yeah, and I had a real struggle with that. I, I still do. Like I'm struggling with it. Now, there are other reasons why that loan's not going to work, but yeah. just from from an ethical standpoint, and keep, I keep in mind, I have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders, I have a fiduciary responsibility to, to, to everybody to kind of protect losses from occurring right, in the first exactly. place. So, to make a sound decision. Yeah, to make a sound decision. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if I think the market's going to correct 20%, mm-hmm. and I allow this person to pay IO, let's just say, in a worst case event scenario of default, that it's a 90% LTV. Yeah. People, people forget that's a problem still. Still a problem. Because I got to pay legal costs. Mm-hmm. I got to do things. And California is a one action state. I can file for uh, a single action, but not on someone's primary residence. Mm-hmm. I can do that on investment property. And a primary residence is not so good. Not so much, right? And, and that there's, there's like 120 days. So if someone defaults, they don't pay their, their, their mortgage payment for 90 days. Yeah. Maybe 120 days, maybe, maybe four months. We've already lost the interest income. Yeah. We're paying attorney fees. We're waiting. There's operational costs in doing this. That yeah. 10% of whatever, even if it's a million dollar property, yeah. you can eat up $100,000 real quickly in court filings. Yeah. So for people to think that, 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 that the home market isn't going to have an issue because loan rates were low, I think is a bit naive. Yeah. But 
I mean, with that and also back to the crypto space. You just want to make fun of crypto bros. No, I'm, I know. It's it's just fine, like, I do too. No, I mean, what these guys should, what these, what these guys need to understand is, yo, regulation's coming. Oh, a thousand. Did you? Read, uh, you saw? You read my next sentence. That's just uh, fucked up. Well, you, just, I mean, you stole my thunder I, on my I own quote. I can't. Huh? I, can't, I, can't leave, I can't give you a segue. Let's <laughs> start talking talk, talk about the segue. regulation. Why don't you tell me about regulation, yeah, Saeed? You, you tell Shit. me what kind of regulation they should be putting in place. I do think regulation is coming. It has to. I mean, how long can this go on for? Well, the, the question is: is what's going to be the catalyst that gets us gets us there? And I don't. I don't think this will be the catalyst. I think the catalyst is the wild swings in value. Yeah. So. But the problem is, is okay. How do you monitor this? Yeah. The SEC is is as a regulator is one of the most underfunded regulators. No disrespect to them, right? They just got a lot of work to do and not <laughs> well, a lot of yeah, manpower. Exactly. I mean, there's a tremendous amount there. I think the FDIC. But if they were told to direct your focus on this, well, yeah, I think there's a lot of people who are going to have a focus on this. First of all, if if you're if you're somebody who's lending against cryptocurrency right now, I, I it's got to be tough for you. If you have a remargining provision, and for those of you who don't know what a remargining provision is, basically it says if you fall below a certain loan to value mm-hmm. because the underlying collateral has dropped in value, you have to bring in more money to the table or more assets to get back to that loan to value. Right. So if you have one of those, you're remargining the shit out of everything right now. Yeah. So how do you continue to lend in the crypto space as a lender and not, I mean, you certainly can't pay 18% anymore. No, right? so obviously. Like, um I mean, so aside from just that, what does this do to the companies? I don't even know if they're still offering this. I'm just asking this question. But I remember, wasn't Tesla at one point um, accepting crypto like Bitcoin? This fucking guy, you're segueing to your own your own shit. No. So before we got to the what? show, everybody, yeah, before we got to the <laughs> show, this guy was he was reading me something that he wanted to talk about today, and this was one of the things he wanted to talk about. I'm not giving you the luxury of a sexy segue. No. You just talk about the shit you want to talk about. Go no, ahead, no. talk about. You go ahead, no, tell no. about what Tesla so did. First of all, no, first of all, I, I genuinely want to know that. I don't know that. You don't know what? So are they still? Are they? I heard Tesla. And I'm like, fuck is, you. Is Tesla? Is Tesla still? Do you know if they're still accepting Bitcoin as a source of payment? I don't know if they ever did in the first place. I think it was like one of those things they talked about. Oh, they, they just never, talked about it. They, they never, they never did. did. Well, yeah, I know there's, there are companies out there that did at one point. That's, that had to have gone away. But yeah, you know Andy. We interviewed Andy. Yeah. And he came up with a board ape uh, yacht club restaurant, right? Yeah. Uh, board and Hungry. Yeah. And they were accepting cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's got to go away. We should probably re-interview him. Yeah. How's, like, it, like, yeah. how's that going, brother? How's it going, brother? I genuinely want to know. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, the NFT space has also changed dramatically as a result of this. And, and I'm curious. Actually, we should probably have Andy back on to have that conversation. I am. If people want to hear it. Because I, th- I bet you he would have a really interesting take. Because he's deep into Web3. Mm-hmm. He's obviously invested. They're opening up another. It was, I think it was in Korea or like maybe it was in. They're opening up one in like a different country. Yeah. And like a second board in Hungary location, and another country, and another country. I think it was either, it was either Korea or it was like Australia. I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I Damn didn't. man, these guys know what they're doing. They know what they're doing, but at the same time, that they're 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 capturing on the intellectual property value yeah. of, of I mean, a brand, which right? Which is the whole point of the brand, right? In some ways, yeah. In some ways, no. I mean, look, that whole space is going to go through such like a renaissance. They, they call it a crypto winter, and that now it's arguable whether it's kind of ending. I don't think any of this stuff is ending. I, I think what we're is we're in like this like weird period where people are trying to focus on other things mm-hmm. and i think they're shifting and to your point people like tesla have shifted their focus yes they have See, so that's they, how you do a segue that's how you do bitch. so in other in tesla news today they sold off 75 percent of his their bitcoin shares mm-hmm. which amounts to 936 million dollars yeah yeah elon he he explained it as well they just had a, an amazing quarter too they crushed it yeah last quarter yeah um, maybe some of the supply chain issues uh, got supply open. chain issues got worked out. They had way more deliveries than expected. Yeah. They're ahead of schedule. Exactly. They did very very well. So he's but he's citing the sell of the the Bitcoin for 
un- the uncertainty of the COVID lockdowns in China. Now, I'm not buying that. Yeah, that's not the reason. Yeah, why. that's not the reason why. But, I think the whole reason he added that to, to the balance sheet, and this is very conspiratory. Conspiratory. Ah. Yeah. But, but real quick, so he also, but they didn't sell any of their Dogecoin. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know. The I don't whole, know why, why he's going to sell. I think he's, he's going to sell too. I think he's probably. But so I truly believe the only reason they put crypto on the on the on the, the balance sheet was a, a larger, more strategic middle finger. Elon Musk in the Twitter acquisition has clearly indicated he has no problem going and messing with companies. Yeah. Elon Musk has had a very storied history with the SEC, which goes back to him being fined for manipulation of the yeah. stock price, right? Right. He was talking about the things he was going to do, possibly taking the company private. Yeah. You can't do that as a CEO of a publicly traded company, yeah, he, right? Yeah. You can't manipulate your stock well, price. When you're the richest man in the say. world, you feel like you're untouchable. Yeah, although I will say Bezos is in a lot better shape. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, but you this at, is your thing you about... His, no, I'm not his position. I'm not yeah. like physically. Oh, Bezos is like oh, on yeah, HGA. You saw, Elon, you you saw Elon on the yacht. Have you seen the photos of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is another instance. Let the record show, everybody, boys and girls. Saeed has, again, seen something that is clearly it's, social media relevant it's, it's, without a social not, media it's account. Not, is it only on social media? Is that media? one of the text messages your friends send you in a group that I'm not yeah, part of? Yeah, exactly. Get? Okay. Or yeah, it's on TMZ. You watch yeah. TMZ. You yeah, physically yeah. watch people TMZ. People send it to other Nobody people, Nobody watches TMZ anymore, <laughs> my, 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 No, not, not watches. They check the website. They check the website. Stop it. I will send it to me. Shout out to Howell. Your wife sent it to you? Yeah. So you tell me your wife was distraught over this whole car situation, worried about a lot of things, got into an accident, got a concussion. She was home. But took the liberty of Sending you a picture yet. of Jeff Bezos yeah. and Elon Musk. No, not Jeff Bezos, just Elon Musk on the yacht. He oh, had... there's a comparison to the two. You oh, no, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. See, I wasn't. I didn't see that one. Jeff Bezos is in incredible shape. Like he's built. He's getting lubed up by oh, somebody. Like yeah. canned up, and he's Elon jacked. Musk looks like a like an albino whale. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not a good look. But I believe that. So he has beef with the SEC going back to that whole situation. I believe that the reason why he put on the balance sheet is because he could verbally manipulate the price of the. The underlying cryptocurrency values, yeah. but the things he was saying and tweeting right. mm-hmm. without actually manipulating his particular stock price directly. Yeah. So it's kind of a middle finger to the SEC. Oh, I can't manipulate my stock price by talking about it. Okay, I'll manipulate something that's on my balance sheet of stock price yeah, by talking about exactly. it. Fuck you. Yeah. I think that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. And it sounds kind of juvenile and stupid, but if you're the richest man in the world and you got a beef with a regulator, yeah. I think the Twitter situation has proven that he's not afraid to go. Yeah. And do some shit like that. Yeah. The whole Twitter situation is interesting. I mean, how do you see what's your prediction on this play now? Like a decade? Like how, how fast does this get resolved? Like oh, they, they, they are Twitter already won the expedited court case, October. I, okay. So it's going to it's going to trial in October, man. No, it's going to trial in October. So they I know they said they think they can wrap this thing up in four days, is is what they said. I, I think that that's probably a good expectation. So but what what can is is there any This is not precedent? like a prolongated trial. Is there this any is a precedent on this? Yeah, but is there any precedent on like so? Can they force him to buy it or just pay, make him pay an an absorbent no, amount? No, 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 no. So of this, like this is a misguided fines. understanding of how. So a lot of people do this with contract law. A lot of people feel like a stigma when your first year contract student in law school. The first thing they tell you is contracts are made to be broken. Yeah, it's not looked at as bad when you breach a contract. Mm-hmm. That's why you have a contract. Is if you do break up, this is what it says. Yeah, right. That's the whole point. Yeah. So. The worst thing that can happen to him, I don't think there's, there's never really any punitive damages for contract law. You'd have to, I mean, they have to show maliciousness, all that stuff. That's, that's generally not applicable at all. Right. So, worst case is the worst. They hit him with a billion dollar breakup. They you, you can't. So, you, you don't can't think they, force they, they him can't to go, perform. They can't make him go over that. No, you really can't force him to perform. No, that'll be lawyer fees. There'll be extra stuff yeah. they'll throw on there. But really, at its core essence, you can't force him to perform. Yeah. You, you had a breakup fee in there. It was contemplated. All that stuff was there. 
That that's their best case. They're looking for vindication on some level. Yeah. What shocks me, we talked about this before, is the fact they're willing to go because Elon Musk can open their ass wide open. All he's got to do is show that there is a logical nexus to the fact that they misrepresented their bots. Bot count, which is what he's holding on to. Yeah. He thinks it's a material fact, right? It yeah. is material fact. Yeah. If he can do that, they're going to have bigger problems with the SEC. Now, because I will tell you. Because they report a certain percentage, right? Yeah. And if he can somehow show that they know that there's more. They've got inaccuracies and misstatements, which are arguably intentional in their public filings. Yeah. And you can't lie on your public filings. On your public filings, yeah. yeah. So... And I would, I would say this, early prediction, I don't really know a lot of the facts. This is just me based on some of the stuff I've seen from the board. Twitter's board, is none of them actually have Twitter accounts. Mm-hmm. I think one of them maybe does. None of them are active users, and none of them are, they're really like glory board members. They're not people who were there. If you, for those of you listening, one of the, the core misunderstandings by most consumers is the value in a board of directors and what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Having been on boards myself, both for-profit and non-profits, I can tell you that it, it is a very difficult thing having a fiduciary responsibility to oversee management because your job is not to actually manage the company. Yeah. Your, your job is to manage the strategic direction of the company and to, to really leverage your position from an outsider's perspective, having some industry expertise in other areas and follow through to hold management accountable. Yeah. That sounds all like lovey-dovey and like all these great languages and like, oh, it's amazing. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's very difficult to execute because one of the, the core problems is you don't want somebody who's overly experienced in your business telling you how to do it. Right. Because they're also not there for the day-to-day operations. They're not supposed of, to be. And right. I mean, they're not supposed to tell management how to do their job on a day-to-day. Interview. They're supposed to say, hey, management, are you, are, you ma- are you executing according to the strategic plan? Exactly. And hold us accountable. So... I would I would say that that's a very there's a very big disconnect, and I don't think that Twitter's board has ever done a good job of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think this is a very personal thing with him, and they're they're not seeing the forest through the tree. Interesting. Well, what makes you say that? What what makes you feel like they they haven't managed it well? Well, because Twitter's not profitable. You're not profitable as a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you may feel. What's the value in Twitter winning a billion dollars? Right. Why don't you go figure out how to make your fucking business model profitable? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, why don't you spend the time trying to figure out how to, how to do something positive for your company? You winning a fucking PR battle for a yeah. billion dollars is it's not going to solve your Sticking it to Elon Musk. Keep in mind, like, they're going to have teams of attorneys working on this. It's going to cost them a shit ton of money at, yeah, the risk, yeah. at the risk of losing this. Right. Now, I'm not saying you should walk away. You could probably negotiate, work for a settlement, stuff like that. But I'll tell you, Elon Musk is the kind of crazy who's going to say, fuck you, let's go. Yeah, exactly. So when they won their their battle to to have this heard in October, Elon Musk was on a fucking boat in like Greece or some shit or yeah, Mykonos. Or not something. giving a fuck. <laughs> yeah. You think he gives a shit about whether he's going to battle with you over a billion dollars? No. Yeah. And if anything, they're enabling him to do what he does. And that's just going to be open stuff up and, and say and, stuff that's... And still in the news, still yeah, relevant. He's yeah. not going to care. Yeah. And for, for them to take on this battle right now, I would say... As an attorney, the, the risk mitigation perspective that I have is one that I would, I would sit him down and say, like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing? To Elon Musk? No. No, to Twitter. Twitter. Board. Okay. Twitter board. Elon Musk, I'd say, like, hey, bro, like, have another cocktail to the fuck out. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me collect uh, on these billable hours. We are 45 minutes deep, ladies and gentlemen. Before I let anybody go, I did have another topic I want to talk about this particular episode. Okay. And shocker, it's not your weight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we almost made it. We almost made it. But... So we know that there have been some bankruptcies so far. 
obviously crypto lenders, yeah. <laughs> Revlon, TRX, but from Forbes, which is not the most reliable source, grand asterisk, they came out with some of the major U.S. layoffs so far. Vimeo cut 6% of its workforce. J.P. Morgan Chase laid off and reassigned more than 1,000 employees. Crypto exchange Gemini cut 68 employees or 7% of its staff. Tesla laid off 229 employees. Online ordering startup Chow Now laid off 100 people. Never heard of them, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tonal, the at-home fitness company, which I... This is that, is that me. the one with the mirror? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuts 35% of its workforce. 35%. 35% of its workforce. This is on top of Spotify that you know about. Yep. I just heard today that a local bank, whose name shall not be mentioned, PPPI, uh, laid <laughs> off uh, a significant amount of people over there. Yes. So there, there, there's, there, there is a palpable amount of layoffs happening. And I think this is relevant because, number one, we predicted it. Kudos yep. to you. Yeah. You're sexy when you're right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Me, me too, hey, bitch. Hey. Say it to me and say it back. <laughs> You're sexy when you're right. <laughs> Thank you. That's so fucking hard for you to do. Yeah, I was thinking about the next thing I was going to say. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Selfish well, motherfucker. Go well, ahead. No, I also know that uh, like a lot of the tech companies, they're the ones that are, are going to start laying off people first, right? And I know Meta that- Meta has talked about this. Meta has talked yeah. about it. They've actually are reducing their hiring down like 30%. Hiring Apple freeze. did that too. Yeah. yeah they're a little yeah. lowering their hiring So I think that w- where you'll see you know, some of the layoffs come- First, from the industry, will be the tech industry first. Well, I mean, it started with Spotify being kind of one of the first movers in the space, but I, I don't. So, this is one of those critical things that we've talked about, and I've talked about it at nauseum. And I know for those of you who listen to the show consistently, this is going to bother you because we're going to hear it again, but bear with me. So, we've talked about July being pivotal, and we talked about the layoffs that were going to come. Mm-hmm. And I've explained that in order for us to really enter into a recessionary economy and begin to fix that economy into a prosperous one, unemployment at 3.6% needs to rise. Yep. This is what we were talking about. Yep. And this is the start of it. This is the start of it. Companies are pricing in a recession into their decision making and layoffs. The human capital element of of the the corporate work life is is Mm as bad as that sounds is a part of it. Yeah. And now you're seeing the layoffs start to hit. And that will eventually impact unemployment and that will rise which is sad right don't you wish like you know year after year after the last call it what 10 12 14 years the companies are performing so well you know beating out projections you would you would have wished that they've positioned themselves in a way to where okay we'll make all this extra money and yeah. try to do our best to keep it lean and not have to lay off anybody when the time comes. In some industries, that's that's a very feasible thing, like our industry. Yeah. And you, yeah. you know that that's the way I've always. That's, I've yeah, always, that's, that's I've the always way you've always done it. I've let people go before. I'm not doing that again. I will never run that way. So I'd rather overwork a little bit of yeah. people, just so that they never Especially when they overperform year after year yeah, after year. I will never put. But there are some companies where, so like, if you're a mortgage company and you're not make lender, yeah, you just need to hire more people. Yeah. But when your demand volume drops off over 20%, you're, you're literally at a, you know, the lowest you've been since 2000. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. have no certain choice. Indi- certain industries, yeah, you're left with no right. choice. But and some of these people, you have to understand, that there is a greater market. So actually, I wasn't planning to talk about this, but this is, this is valuable. Remember when we were talking about Brian Moynihan and Jamie Dimon? Yes. And we were sitting on the show, we were kind of hypothecating that, that Brian Moynihan has to have a, a reason for his spin. Yeah. There was an amazing article that came out. I think I sent yeah, it to you. Yeah, you sent it to me. Where... They explained that Bank of America has been repositioned to be more of a consumer-focused bank. Versus 
Jamie JP, with JP, JP Morgan, Morgan, which is more of a Wall Street Wall, facing right. and kind of a bigger kind of corporate presentation. Right. So Bank of America more bullish on the market. Exactly. Yeah. Read the article. Yeah. I did read the article. Yeah. yeah. So so clearly Brian Moynihan is trying to tell the consumers who are his primary customer and his focus that mm-hmm. they're all good. Yeah. Consumers in great shape. And Jamie Dimon, on the other hand, is saying, no, the consumers fucked. They got about six to nine months. Yeah, he can't speak for all consumers. He just those are his his consumers. Well, so. he was also relying yeah, on yeah. data from the previous quarter. And yeah. he, you know, he had his reasons for doing it. And that's why it's so important that you fact check. Everybody listen to the show. Don't take everything that we say, well, especially me, because you know sites full of shit. Everything <laughs> that we say as gospel, you should research and dig into it. And if you don't follow social media, follow my social media. We, I, I literally source all this content. All the articles we talk about are literally on my Instagram, and I literally put a link to every single one for a source. You'll see it there. Click link labeled source. Mm-hmm. You can read about all this stuff, and you should go back to it, and you should question the data. I always question the National Association of Realtors, right? All the metrics going down except for what? Home values. Right. Because their agenda calls for what? Exactly. Lower rates, not lower home values. That's yep. their affordability. So, so there's, there's always things like this. And Brian Moynihan and, and J.P. Morgan Chase are no different. There was, there was yeah, a you reason You always it. question the direction of why things are being said. There's always some smoke The derivative is important. Yeah. 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 And of course, J.P. Morgan Chase lays off, as I noted, a thousand employees. And this is just the beginning for them. Yeah. There, there's going to be more. That there's, there's a lot. There's a lot more coming. Yeah, like they're they're pricing in this recession that's coming, and that that's the point. So so many of these companies have a Wall Street focus. Yeah, and most consumers don't realize that there are earnings calls. If you own some stock in these companies, you'll get an alert when an earnings call comes up. You can also attend most of these people's earnings calls. You can listen in. You just dial in the number, and they're they're on their websites, and there's there's ways you can get that, and it's very publicly available. And you can listen in on their earnings calls. You can get their public filings if they're a public company. Uh, they're you know, 10Qs, 10Ks, whatever it might be. And, and you can listen in and you can read all this information. You can find out how they operate. Well, they have analysts who constantly ping them. They have to cater to Wall Street. They have to answer the question, how do you continue to, to move forward in, in this recession? Yeah, they have economy? a fiduciary responsibility, right, to right. their shareholders. So they also have to be very careful with how they say things. and During those calls. But yeah. this is one of the things that they can say, we did this. To prepare for what comes next, and because yeah. of the lack of overhead that we're going to have, or because of the downsizing, yeah, or, you know, reshuffling our expenses, action speaks. They're trying words. to tell the market proactively that they're doing the right things to manage the headwinds. Yeah, and that that's effectively what it comes down to. And, and it's 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 sad that that we think about humans in the form of layoffs, but we also think about them in the form of human capital for corporations. But that that is that is what it is. It, corporations are not evil. It's like that. It's been like that from the beginning of time. Right. I mean, it's, on some level, yes. On some level, it has. I mean, yeah. I, I, one example that I always, I always think of, that especially as of what happened recently to my wife, right, in the car accidents, mm. is you think, hey, man, if if they were really concerned about people dying on the roads, would the speed limit be sixty-five miles an hour, or would they be twenty-five miles per hour? Because that's that's controversial. <laughs> I mean, if you go to Europe, yeah. there's way, no, way, way higher yeah, speed way limits. Speed limits but and it's nobody like, gets in a car accident. Yeah, Only the people don't people get, get in car, car accidents. But uh, but it's like. You get you get comfortable with a certain percentage at a certain point. I got a topic I want to show you on. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're gonna go left, everybody. For those <laughs> of you, yeah, did you beatboxing now that? No. Come on, man. <laughs> we got a soundboard. This is exactly I why you can't board. operate the soundboard. See, but by the soundboard, this it would exactly sound so much what? nicer. All right, shut up. You're bothering all the audience. Okay. <laughs> so I was thinking the other day about all this shit growing up that we experienced. That the younger generation will have no clue over, and I'm not knocking just just beepers. Remember beepers, well, of course, pages. yeah. yeah. 
those of you who don't know what a beeper is, you'd send a telephone number to a device and you yeah. call that phone number back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking about the stuff that we don't get to experience anymore. Remember when, before the advent of cell phones? Yeah. You would go someplace and you would be out of touch. You would have to tell, hey, honey, I am going to work. Yeah, I'll see you when I see you. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. If you were like a traveling salesman or you went door to door or you were like on the road, nobody could get a hold of you. You being out of touch was a normal thing for an extended period of time. Yeah. Now, if someone doesn't know where they have, you're not on Find My Friends or like whatever. They, yeah. They have, it no, freaks I, you they, have, they have no idea where you're at. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember Movie Phone? No. Oh, and thank you for calling oh, Movie yeah. Phone. Yeah, you had to find out the yeah, time. Yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Right? And no matter what happened, when you were calling Movie Phone and they got, finally got to your movie, some asshole would talk to you and you wouldn't hear all the movie times. Yeah. So you had to call it back. Dude, I remember when MapQuest first came out and my, right? par- my parents would be like, hey, can you go on go online and have to dial up the internet and try to print out the yeah, directions you would for print them? Out directions and they would have directions printed on a piece of paper. Before that, the Thompson's guy or Thomas guides. Thomas guy, yeah, people, yeah. People, no one who has that anymore. Yeah, people don't you, even know how to read that anymore. When you actually ask someone for directions and they had to give you directions because there was no other way to find out where yeah, the fuck you were going, exactly. Go down the corner, make a left on Hyle, then turn right on Slater, and then by the yeah. way, uh, you're going to see a liquor store past that, and on your left hand side, you're there. Yeah, we're not going to be these old timers. Obviously, like technology has helped us a lot. I mean, think about how much. No, no, I'm just saying, like there, there were character building aspects of all that shit. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You were payphones, and you didn't. There wasn't this. And the biggest problem with it all is not needing this need for instant gratification. So that that was the most compelling thing I thought about. Check us out. All right. Everybody close your eyes. If they let you driving, in which case. <laughs> keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open, but imagine closing your eyes. So <laughs> remember back in the day when you would have a camera with film in it? You would take photos. Oh, I love those. You wouldn't know. What the photo looked like. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to you turn to it take, in. You'd yeah. turn it into the to you know the the photo mart, whatever it was, get yeah. your shit developed. It would come back and then you would go, oh wow. But you had to pose for those photos. You had to pose and yeah, get it you right. Yeah, you don't even know. Like keep your you, eyes you open. You couldn't yeah. take 40 photos in a row and go, I don't like that one. Let's yeah, take them again. Exactly. Like, you would you wouldn't go to a restaurant and take photos of your food. Oh, that that that's the one that bothers me the most. I watch man. every single meal. I can't do it. I love I you, can't. honey. Every single meal we go to, like every and she loves cooking, so that's yeah, her thing. That's, whatever, it's, whatever. it's one thing if you're taking it for yourself and whatnot, but no, like, no, she posts it online. Yeah, no, she <laughs> posts online, tags the restaurant, tags me. Man, but if there's anybody who should be an influencer, it's my wife. She loves that stuff so much. She's good at it too. Yeah, let's not you know results. No, no, she's good at it. Yeah, she's but, good at it. But the that whole thing with the the cameras, it's the nostalgia play on that is like I miss that so much as we have a Polaroid camera at the house. Yeah, but it's not the same when you have the option of using it. Yeah, we yeah we try to use it as much as we can, but um, those photos still come out like trash. <laughs> they do, they do come out. But like it's trash. okay. I like that kind of trash. It's not like a photo with a filter. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think more than anything, we've lost the we've lost like the wonderlust in like time. Mm-hmm. Everything is so instantly gratified that we've lost like the wonderlust of like this perspective of just like wait and see. Yeah. So much of what we had historically was like if you wanted to call somebody, you had to go to a physical payphone, call them. Yeah. If you if somebody went to work, you actually missed them when they got back because you couldn't reach them throughout right. the day. So you wanted to talk about all the things that happened in your day. So you if you took photos, you wanted to see that event's photos later on, and you get them developed. They would come back to you like a week later. You don't know what's on the photos. You get yeah. them back. You're like, oh my god, this is amazing. Yeah, it's something you, you have something to look send forward them to. Somebody. Yeah, to, exactly. Like, when was the last time someone physically mailed you a letter? Yeah, seriously, I can't even recall. I don't know. Never. Can't ever. I can't recall once. Right. So, but the one thing, it's like the instant gratification the thing that bothers me the most, and something that 
you don't do, which I respect the hell out of, right, is when you're driving, I get that and I text you, I get that notification. Yeah, I don't text while I'm driving. I get that notification yeah. saying I'm driving, I'll text you when I when I when I get there. The amount of people I see texting while driving on the road, you can't wait however long it's gonna take for you to get there. You're putting everyone's lives in danger. When you hear the sad part, that isn't the reason why I don't do it. This <laughs> <laughs> is the sad part. Is I, I'm I'm six five, I'm probably like two fifty right now. Uh-huh. I got fat digits. Like my, my fingers are big. I used to be like everybody else, like on the phone, texting away, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm at the point now, and I don't know if it's not because I'm getting old. Yeah. I can't get my shit straight unless I'm focused. Like, I used to be able to text real quick, like, hey, I'll see you there, blah, blah, blah. Now, if I were to try to do that while I'm driving, oh, it would yeah. come out like, man, I, don't, I, don't know yeah. I mean, it wouldn't even look like words. Yeah. And then there's like the, the, the text. I, I'm just not that good. Yeah, and multitasking, and multitasking. And, and, yeah, while I'm driving. Well, so yeah, I know for, myself. Like, I don't want to die. Well, for me, and I'm sure, like, anyone who's a, one of the five listeners that are parents out there, it, like, it. it oh, we're at 15 minutes. I'm it, sure there's only four listeners left. Yeah. So I appreciate you guys. It's yeah. my wife, your wife. There's no more yeah. texting while driving. Please. No more texting while driving. Yeah. yeah. That, that yeah right? We're going to end it with that. Actually, I had a better way to end it than that. <laughs> okay. You want to end it with that? No, I know what you. Okay, go for it. You know what I was going to say. What do you mean? You're going to call me fat. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. You look very slender. No, no, look very plump. But uh, I was actually thinking that's the beauty in what we're at from an economic perspective. Yeah. Is that so much of, of the gratification of waiting to get that ultimate like climax of, of better was worth it. There, there was value in waiting. Mm-hmm. And so much of what we want from a technology perspective is we want this instant gratification, this instant change. And a lot of people are, are reticent to point to what's happening in the economy as what it is because they want to see the instant change. We are in a recession. Or we are, the values are, are coming down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't understand the prolongated process. You can't skip. And no amount of technology and no amount of change is going to make recessionary economies happen faster. Right. Don't be afraid of what comes next. Be aware of it. Be cognizant. Spend every three months. Take a look at it. But by all means, enjoy the process of the ride because this is truly what builds wealth over time. If you're aware of it, if you're smart enough to do the right things you need to do and you make logical, clear decisions based on facts, not on fictions, Mm -hmm. not on bias. Yeah, you'll come out on top. A way fucking better ending than your ending. Yeah, I ended it. Shout out to me. You did not end it. (laughs) I ended it. No, you didn't. Yeah. Stop it. (laughs) All right, 59 minutes and 54 seconds, and Saeed sucks. Bye. (laughs) Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.